We're continuing in our series through First Peter today, um, our same page focus. Uh, if you're just connecting in at Eaglemont, same page focus just means that we're on a stretch of weeks where our Sunday morning message tracks the same uh, topic and study as our small group, uh, uh, small group studies in the week. And so uh, let's, ju- let's just pray right now. God, we thank you for your leadership in this church. You are the leader. You, Jesus, are the shepherd, the chief shepherd. And so we lean on you, and we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to to, to expand our physical uh, footprint in this community for generations to come. So exciting. Yeah, it's big. It may be scary, but you're a big God. And we just, we thank you. We commit these next couple of weeks as we pray um, about your direction in our own lives. God, provide, and we know that you will. Lord, we thank you for the time in your word right now. Open our Hearts to your word and your word to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First Peter 1, 3 to 5, in the New International Version, passage we're working on together to memorize. Hopefully you're doing this on your own during the week. I want you to read it out loud with me. I want to hear you, okay? Um, start now. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 4. Let's work on the last part of, of, of that paragraph together right now a few times. Let's uh, beginning, uh, beginning uh, middle of verse 4, this, this part. Um, Is this inheritance there? There we go. This inheritance, loud, loud with me, let's say it. This inheritance is kept for you. I'm going to start again. It's tough being up here, right? You've seen it. Okay, here we go again. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's do it again with a couple of words taken out. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, a few more words taken out. Uh, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power till the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Work on that and I will continue to as well. Way to go for taking God's word into your heart. That's important. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 is our passage for today. Let me read it. And you can listen. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentleman quiet spirit, which is of great value in God's sight. 
For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their faith in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called her Lord. Isn't this going to be fun? You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Pastor Jaden had the easy passage last Sunday. <laughs> you go back and listen if you, if you missed it. This is just right up there with that one, isn't it? Wow. It's God's Word. It's God's Word. Verse 1, we see the phrase, in the same way. Uh, and he goes on, in the same way, submit. But what, what is this, in, in the same way, just briefly? Oh, well, of course, this phrase is, is, is Peter directing us back to what was said in the previous chapter where he shared other examples of how God wants us to submit. And then in the last few verses of the previous chapter, he highlights the example of Jesus himself. Jesus himself modeled submission when he submitted to the will of his Father and, and came and suffered and died on the cross for, for our eternal salvation. So Peter is drawing from Christ's example, pulling it forward here to this challenging passage. In the same way as Christ did, wives submit to your husbands. Now, with this word, uh, submit, you may need to clear your mind of some wrong definitions. Of, of this word as we, as we read it in the English language, or, or of some sad experiences, actually, for, for some of you, of how this word has been misapplied in an abusive way, possibly even, in your life. That grieves God. That angers God, actually. And sadly, that's the experience of some of you. You see, like anything that God designs and establishes for our good, Satan will try to destroy and distort it. And God's healthy and good design for authority and leadership in all aspects of life, including marriage and family, is a prime example of what Satan wants to mess up. And he's had some success at doing so. The word submit here is the same Greek root as in uh, Romans 13.1 where it says be, be subject to the governing authorities. Hypotasso. It's Greek. Literally to put one's self under. For us to choose that posture. Posture in, in recognition of God's design and structure of authority and leadership. And of course, those in authority and leadership don't always get it right. Uh, we know, as, as we heard last Sunday as well. There's this thing called sinful human nature that messes up what God has designed that is good. About a year ago, I was in a Zoom teaching session with 
Dr. David Gretzky as a recipient there, not teaching with him. He's a resident theologian of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, if you don't know. You'll read some of his writings in the Faith Today magazine if you see that around. He said what Pastor Jaden said last Sunday. This, this word submit does not mean unequivocal obedience, unquestioning obedience. It does not mean that. The original Greek word here is, a, is actually a, a, a passive verb. In other words, it's a, it's a choosing, as I indicated already, it's a choosing to come under a structure of leadership that God has established and, and, and not something that is forced upon wives, in this context, upon wives in any way. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, another New Testament writer, Paul, wrote something similar to what Peter wrote here over in Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Paul wrote, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Ephesians 5.25, that many of you know well also, Paul wrote a similar message. He said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. Sacrificially. That's how God wants leadership to function. To be the giving ones, to be the ones who are willing to sacrifice for the good of the other. It's the leaders that should make the greatest sacrifices. Peter would definitely agree with God's command to husbands that Paul wrote about. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. And in verse 7 of our passage of our chapter today, chapter 3, Peter tells husbands, as we read, to treat their wives with respect. By God's definition, which is the definition that matters the most, right? We can't let God's definition be... Be put through the lens of our imperfect human lens that is understandable. That's how we see life. But we need to try to get, out, get outside of that in many passages, and this, this one included, right? By God's definition, submission, this word submit, is never forced, it's never, dom- it's never to be domineering. It's not to be the result of any, any degree of abuse or or even a hint of attitude of superiority. Not at all. None of those things. And again, for some wives, the the word submit is is tough to hear and, and, and very sadly, sometimes for good reason. Husbands, you are asked to initiate this approach in your marriage, those of you who are married. This approach to your spouse of treating them always with respect, with, 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 with love, which, again, is not a feeling, actually, biblically. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to love and serve when you just don't feel like it. And I'm in that boat sometimes, too, as a husband. I just don't feel like it because I, I, I want what I want. When your wife feels loved and honored and respected, then godly submitting, choosing to come under the loving leadership. I mean, I'm choking up a little because this this humbles me. I'm not worthy of this. You know, who of us are, right? 
But what a privilege, husbands. We get, to, we get to serve God by serving our spouse this way. In this attitude and posture. And when we do that, again, this idea of godly submitting, choosing to come under loving leadership becomes easy for a Christ-following wife who, who wants to obey God in all aspects of, the, of her life. Biblical idea of submitting can absolutely be misused, as, as we've said already, by, by a domineering husband. And it, it has at times, of course, sadly. As Kyle Eidelman points out in the video teaching that you'll watch this week in your small group, if you're in a small group, Peter is, Peter is not telling wives to accept abuse of any kind. This directive to submit is not an open door for a husband to be demeaning or domineering in any way, he says, or to treat his wife as a second-class citizen. Absolutely not. And as often happens when there's misuse of an idea, instead of a balanced correction, the, the, the pendulum can easily swing too far the other way, right? You, you know what I'm saying. Don't, don't let how this biblical directive has been misused, namely as a weapon by a prideful or power-hungry man, don't, don't let man's imperfection determine how you view this biblical um, directive. As I said a moment ago, it does not mean dominance. It, 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 it's, it's not, you obey what I say. It's not that. It's not, I make all the decisions here. No. In the last verse of this passage, Peter commands husbands to respect their wives in their God-given role within the context of the marriage relationship. Husbands, we are called to love, to value, to honor our spouse. And when that's the case, it, it opens the door for a wife to easily respect and submit as God asks in a healthy and God-designed way to her husband. Now, God's call to the wives in this is not, even, even in a case like that, I can understand, not necessarily easy. There's certainly a, there's certainly a humility that's required, and, and that is difficult sometimes because that chafes, I, I, I would think, against our human pride that, is a, that, again, is a result of our sinful nature that we all have. And so submission is definitely evidence of a characteristic of humility that is Christ-honoring, that is a Christ-honoring quality which God calls us to display. And, and He wants us to, wives in this case, and, and for all of us, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to work these Christ-like qualities into our life so that we can live life as He designed it to be lived. This area and others. I would also add that it's important for us to know that the biblical term submit applied in a God-honoring way is not, is not contradictory to the Bible's teaching about men and women being equal. Please hear this. It's not contradictory. Both male, female, both created in God's image equally. Both equal value in the eyes of God. God's good design of leadership in every arena of life has nothing to do with an individual's value or worth as a person. Nor does it undermine the important and healthy um, collaborative approach to decision making in a godly marriage. I've heard Pastor Joel say it this way when we dealt with this same idea in another series from one of the New Testament books where he said, biblical marriage is a partnership, not a dictatorship. It is, because both are equal. 
There's no, there's no room for any kind of intimidation from a husband. And of course, practically, there's times when a decision has just, just got to be made. And those are, I'll, I'll let you work that out with prayer. <laughs> those, those can be challenging. Let's jump, jump back to verses 1 and 2. In marriages where the husband is not a Christ follower, it says, and the, and the wife is, God's desire is that this posture of humility will have an influence uh, for, for Christ on the non-believing spouse, in this case the husband, simply through the, the attitude and the behaviors of the wife, even, even without words. Very interesting. If that's, if that's your marriage situation, I, and I, I can't pretend to say, oh, I understand what you're going through. That would be disingenuous, wouldn't it? times I'm sure that's difficult for you. Your spouse that is not a Christ follower like you are. If that's your marriage situation, I just, I just encourage you to, to prayerfully reflect on these verses um, more on, on your own time. And then in verses 3 to 5, I'm going to read it again. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, this description is, is freeing, I, I would think, in a, in a Photoshop culture that is obsessed with exterior appearance. In the ancient world, it, it appears that this emphasis and, and overemphasis even on exterior beauty was just as prevalent as it is today. Isaiah 3, uh, there's some verses in that chapter. There's a long list. Isaiah refers to some of these outward things. Uh, the, the list includes in, in Isaiah 3, ankle bracelets, shawls, headdresses, leg ornaments, whatever that is, uh, headbands, charms, rings, nose jewelry, earrings, purses, mirrors, robes uh, are listed there, among others. Uh, of course, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. Some of those things look nice, but, but even ancient culture got off balance in terms of what they came to view as true beauty and the source of it. P Peter's not saying, he, he doesn't, you notice he doesn't, out, he doesn't say, those things are sin. It doesn't say that. He's not saying that it's wrong to care about the exterior, of course, but, but those things are not the most important and not the source of true beauty by God's definition, which is from within. The last part of verse 4 refers to the, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. This Expression from Peter tracks, um, tracks with, uh, where was it? 1 Samuel 16, 7, where, where it just says, and many of you know this verse from the Old Testament. We look at the exterior things, don't we? We, we do. More so, too often. But God looks at the heart. He sees what's within, and that matters most. Then verse 6 in today's passage tells us that Sarah, way, way back in the early part of the Old Testament, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, small l, her, her Lord. Now, certainly we need to recognize there's a, there's, a, there's a cultural reality here, a cultural aspect to this. Miriam is, by the way, never called me Lord, and I actually don't want her to. <laughs> 
But in that example, Peter's just raising an example from his ancestral lines of a, of a relationship in marriage where, where, where the husband, Abraham, loved and respected Sarah and, and, and treated her accordingly. And, and Sarah chose to honor his God-given role of leadership in their marriage. And so Peter is, 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 is highlighting them as, as an example. A healthy, a healthy balance of, of leadership and, and submission, godly submission in, in their marriage. And then verse 7, Peter tells husbands to, as we read already, to treat their wives with respect as the, as the weaker partner. I'm quite sure that those words have irritated the odd wife over the centuries. What does it, what does it mean? There's many connotations that come to mind that are not what God is intending here. That would be Probably irritating. God's not saying you can't be a strong lady. He's not saying you can't have your thoughts that you've processed and you've thought through intelligently like so many of you are and, 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 and have perspectives that add value to whatever outcomes of decision making or what have you. And gifts and skills that add, add value to the family in ways that would never be there if it was up to me as a husband, you know? No. The author of gotquestions.org, and like any book that's not the Bible, or any website that's a good resource, there's sometimes some things that, uh, in, in any author's rendition, that you, you don't necessarily agree with, but... I, I do find this to be very helpful, and I've referred to this website occasionally. I believe uh, gotquestions.org offers some helpful perspective on this particular phrase when the author of the brief, concise uh, uh, expression on this passage says, specifically in regards to this weaker partner phrase, it has nothing to do with her mental or spiritual capabilities. It simply refers to the fact that a woman has a different physical makeup from a man. Men are naturally stronger, and from the beginning of creation, men have been the primary providers and protectors of their family. And not that a woman with God's help can't step into being those things as well. But that's Kind of the biblical pattern of what's, what's being... And I, I think that phrase says it well. That paragraph says it well by way of explanation. Here. The secular society at the time Peter wrote this had a very low view of women. Sometimes the New Testament is accused of that, but that's not so. It's actually not so. But, but the culture of the time absolutely had a very low view of women. The New Testament church, under God's direction, elevated the value of women and sought to, to honor them, to, to, to see them protected, if you will. What, what, what Peter says in verse 7 of chapter 3 here about giving honor and respect to one's wife would have been, would have been very countercultural in that secular society at that time. 
Peter was reiterating what the whole New Testament teaching was, that although men and women are uh, different in numerous and obvious ways, and, and for some strange reason, our current culture doesn't like that statement, do they? I don't get it, but it's true. They, they just, our, our current society cringes at, the, at that statement right there that is pretty common sense to me. But anyway, men and women are, are different. Yes, God created us different to be, to be complementary to one another. But in that, absolutely equal in value as human beings in God's eyes. And again, Peter would agree with what the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament under God's direction, what Paul said in Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, there, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Equal. And just to be clear, Paul there is not saying that biologically there is no such thing as male or female. You gotta, you gotta say that in this day and age, right? But, but rather, that whether you are male or female, you are equal in the eyes of God, is what's being said. And it's that very idea that was foreign to the secular culture of the, of the day, uh, the secular culture of the day when, when Peter wrote this. And again, contrary to what you may hear sometimes, Christianity elevated the status and value of women. And, and you may know that Christianity also did the same thing for the overall value of human life to, to, relating to children. And again, in your, in your small group video, and if you're not in a small group, you're, you're missing some good teaching. But, but in your small group teaching this week, you'll hear in the video session about how the Roman Empire was, was brutal in the area of abortion and infanticide, the killing of infants, of course. Back then, if... Eidelman points out, uh, back then, if parents had a child that they didn't want for any reason, it was not uncommon for them to take the baby into the woods and abandon it. That precious child was left, literally, left to the elements and the wild animals. Unfathomable. But the early Christians, believing in the God-given value of every human life, took a stand against this. And they, they didn't just, they didn't, well, they probably didn't at all protest with placards or whatnot. I'm not saying there's never a time to do that, but, but they did something. They actually went into the wilderness and rescued as many children as they could and took them and raised them as their own. And it, that was the, the, the seed beginning of the, the, the orphanages that... God-loving, people-loving Christians started to care for children that were not wanted or that were left orphaned for other reasons. So again, these words in 1 Peter, they would, they would have been foreign to the common thinking about women in, in that secular culture where wives were seen merely as, as, as property or, or objects who were mostly for the sensual pleasure of men. So sad. And husbands, I recognize that I'm repeating myself here, but only because Peter did. Right? Yeah, right. Marlo repeats himself sometimes. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes because he can't remember what he did two minutes ago, but whatever. 
But husbands, to be Christ-like is to honor your bride. It's to respect her and love her sacrificially. Which means putting her desires above your own. And there are opportunities. You know it, I know it, to do that every day. And you can ask Miriam, I don't always get that right. But husbands, let's commit to live this way. Would you join me in that? Kind of a recommitment for many of us that we maybe need to keep coming back to at different times, right? And we'll probably have to come back to it again. God, help me in this. To honor you by respecting and honoring my bride. Then there's a very interesting comment at the end of today's passage. Did you catch it when we read it? The last part of verse 7. Peter says, Do this, husbands, with a good attitude, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. It's quite a statement. It's actually a sad Outcome for Christian husbands who dishonor God by dishonoring their, their spouse, their wife. Peter's saying that if we don't treat our wives the way God commands us to, with respect and care and honor and true love, sacrificial love, our communication with God is negatively impacted. Hmm. God must care about this, guys, a lot. Now, think about this that your prayers would be maybe hindered. Think about this through the lens of a verse like Psalm 66, 18 that says, if I regard iniquity in my heart or if I hold on to sin in my life, in my heart, the Lord will not hear. In other words, if I'm okay with sin in my life, my prayers are hindered, to use Peter's word. And so in this first Peter passage to treat our wife harshly, those of us that are married and with disrespect is in, in a domineering way is sin. And it's in the category of something that results in the Lord then not hearing us when we pray. Prayers are hindered. I, I think another part of this is that God wants Christian couples to pray together. Did you know that? And if that's not a part of your marriage, please, take a baby step toward praying together. Beyond, thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. And, and, and I'm not discounting that. Those are important moments of, of posturing our heart in thanksgiving as we sit down to a meal together. Um, if that's a struggle for you, I, in a non-judgment, I know judgment, just I want to help you. And there's others. Maybe you've got a, a friend, uh, as a couple, you have another uh, a couple that are friends of yours that you know, that, and you know they pray together. And, and talk to them about ways that you can move. Because, yeah, for, for some, even with your spouse, that's a really uncomfortable place to be. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. God doesn't want it to be. It can be such a rich Experience spiritually together. So I, I just encourage you in that. But if, if the husband 
is a domineering bully in the regular goings-on of life. And then you want to come alongside your spouse and pray about the troubles of her day. <laughs> it's going to be a disconnect there, right? Your prayers will be hindered, even with your spouse. There's, there's the various elements to this. Prayers will be hindered. Pastor N.T. Wright says that this, uh, if this is the case, shared prayer, he says, will be an imposition on the wife. If, if, if you're a domineering bully the rest of the time, shared prayer, he says, will be an imposition rather than a natural and delightful mutual spiritual experience. It's true. So to conclude, I actually want to quote this same pastor and commentator, N.T. Wright. He says this, only when we have considered the ways in which women are regarded in the ancient world as a secondary form of human being, will we realize just how revolutionary Peter's message, like that of other early Christians, and following the actual practice of Jesus himself, he writes, actually was. How revolutionary it was. Peter's message, and is, he says. There's much here to ponder, and again, this is, with the time we have, kind of a flyover in many ways, but there's, there's much to ponder for those who are married, and, and for those who aren't, but, but who will be someday. God, help us all, and especially help us today as we read this, as I guess it's the lens I'm looking at it through. Help us as husbands to respond in the way God wants us to. To live as the way God wants us to. In relation to our spouse. And wives, obviously there's much for you to prayerfully continue to process in, in the days ahead in this passage. And I, I, hope, I hope that you would. I hope that you will. I'd like to just speak to those who either in this place physically or engaging online have not ever come to the place of, of trusting Christ, of surrendering to the God who created you and who loves you more than anybody possibly could. In a, whenever it was, time behind is a blur, but Maureen spoke a great message about something we often refer to as do versus done. So I'm going to want to take a moment. And if you're a Christ follower, this little verbal illustration might help you in some sharing opportunity that God brings your way to share with someone who's not a, a Christ follower to, to help them understand uh, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I'll often start it, and, and I'll ask too, rhetorically, because I'm sure you won't say no. But do you mind if I share the difference between religion and New Testament Christianity? And I say New Testament Christianity because even Christianity in some circles has sadly been turned into a religion. Religion. Christianity. Religion is spelled, and again, you've heard us say this before, many of you. This is a refresher. Religion is spelled D-O. 
Do. Got to do more. You got to be better to to get there. (laughs) It's on you. Come on. Come on. Oh, what what a burdensome way to live. It's not what God intended. It's not the message of Jesus. It's not the message of the New Testament. Uh, New Testament Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Everything that needed to be done for you and I to live e- eternally in a beginning now, if we place our faith in Christ, in, an, in a personal and eternal relationship with God, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, was done by Christ on the cross and His resurrection from the the dead, to prove he's got the power to deliver this salvation eternally to us, right? Do versus done. Oh, that's a freeing message. Not that there's not things that God wants us to do in obedience to him and becoming like Christ and reflecting his love and grace to people in our broken world. Well, yes, but those things don't get us into a relationship or into heaven eternally. Done by Christ on the cross. Do versus done. Religion versus New Testament Christianity. And maybe you're at a place where, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I want my life to be in the hands now in this world and in the one to come in the hands of the God who created me. So I want to to step into that right now. You know what? There's no complicated aspect to this. God loves you so much. He wanted to make it as easy as possible to step into his family by simple faith. And God, I recognize who you are, the creator of all things, including me. You made me. Why would I not entrust my life and my future and my eternity to you? Why wouldn't it hold me back from doing that? Maybe that's where you're at today. And you just simply, it's not about the words. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, we, we, we confess, yes, our faith. And in this moment, you can do that. But there's no special formula in the words. It's a posture of trust and faith in God and what Jesus did on the cross. And say, God, I want you in my life. I want you to lead my life. I surrender to you. Jesus, thank you. for. I want you to be the forgiver of my sin. So that's out of the way. And there's no barrier between me and my God anymore. And I want you to be the leader of my life. I trust you now. I turn from my old way of living. Help me grow in this new relationship with you. And I'm going to stumble like everybody else. But there you are, ready, with your arms open wide. Get up. Keep going. Keep going. You're forgiven. In this place right now, without bowing your heads, Christians, be praying. Or if you're engaging online, Go to eaglemont.info and click on the I'm new card. And there's a place there to say, I prayed that prayer today to trust Christ, to begin an eternal personal relationship with the God who created me, who loves me most and knows me best. Or anybody in this room, is that where you're at? And you're saying, I want to commit my life to Jesus today. What you just said, Marlo, makes makes a lot of sense. I want to give my life to God today. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out, but look my way. Raise your hand. Say, Pastor Marlowe, pray for me as you, as you close today. Is there anybody in this place that is, is there? Give you a moment. Thank you. I don't know why I said thank you, but I should say that's awesome.
Luke 15 says the angels in heaven are celebrating right now. It's pretty cool. Anybody else? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your gift of grace. Shown to us in so many ways, but mostly shown to us through Jesus, your Son, given to us and for us. Thank you for this precious life and her expression of what's in her heart and desiring to follow you, Christ, with just raising her hand. You see her heart as she surrenders to you. Thank you that a new relationship with God has begun. Strengthen her. Walk with her. We know you will. As she trusts you every day, as she reads your word, as she connects with other believers for mutual encouragement, guide her and others who may have not indicated outwardly, but they're making that commitment right now, either in this place or online. God, thank you for your gift of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.